Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, all. I've been directed to inform you that at the end of this reading, <laughs> I would say, thank, this is the word of the Lord. And then you have to respond loudly by saying, thanks be to God. Thank you. Our text for today is taken from Colossians chapter 2, from verses 1 to 5. Colossians 2, verses 1 to 5. I read, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. This, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tedu, for following instruction and direction. <laughs> Well, good morning once again. I don't know if you, come, if you came in after I uh, gave the initial greeting. My name is Femi, and we are continuing in our study in the book of Colossians. We're going through the whole book of Colossians. We've called it Rooted and, build up, and Built Up, taken from um, a passage in chapter 2, which we are just getting into now. We're getting to chapter 2. We've been in chapter 1 for the last couple of weeks. Um, have you ever been invited to an event? Right? Or something that people were doing. Have you ever been invited and you didn't want to go? Yeah. Right? Somebody comes up and says, hey, we're doing this. You don't want to go. Ah, my house, we're we are actually, you don't want to go. Now, how did you get out of it? Well, most of us, that's, this is what we do. We tell, we tell a, a white lie, something like We say something like, ah, okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You know. Or, are you serious? Wow. Okay, I'll check my calendar and I'll get back to you. Or the other people that will say, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the date, but I'll try and see what I can do. Newsflash translation, all that means they don't want to come. <laughs> now, some of us are just way too impolite and we just say no. All right? If you're like me, you just say no. God bless you if you're that kind of person. But some of us want to be polite, direct, and spiritual about it. And if you want to be that person who is polite, direct, and at the same time spiritual, there is an all-time favorite. You want to be polite, direct, but spiritual. There's an all-time favorite. You just say, I will be present with you in spirit. <laughs> now, Christians have picked that up from, if you check verse 5, Paul says that, for though I am absent with you in body, I am present with you in spirit. Now, however, Paul wasn't using that as a literary device to get him out of something he didn't want to do, but at the same time, save face. No. 
Rather, you see, Paul was referring to his apostolic oversight in relation to this church, the, the church in Colossae, and also other churches like we see the church in Laodicea. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you for those at Laodicea, you and those at Laodicea. So what he was saying is, as an apostle, even though some of them had not met him, he had a specific oversight over these churches. And so as they were trying to think about certain things, Paul is saying, look, my authority um, does not necessarily depend, my apostolic authority doesn't necessarily depend on my being physically present, right? My being present with you in spirit um, is also a, um, a, a, a valid presence in you taking this decision or in what I am contending for you. Now, Yemi showed us last week that Paul says, look, the goal of this apostolic ministry for him is one, is really to present everyone mature in Christ. That's one verse, chapter 1, verse 28. Now, in order to ensure this goal, he noted, as he said in verse 29, he says, to this end. So I want to, be, what we're meant to do is to present everyone mature in Christ, but to this end, the end of presenting everyone mature in Christ, he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In other words, Paul was saying, the goal of presenting everyone mature in Christ, from his standpoint, requires very hard work. Now, in particular, because he also knew, if you check verse 4, he knew that getting people matured in Christ was also going to make, you have to make them deception proof. He doubled down on it, on this hard work, in the first verse of our, of our, of our passage. He said, after he says that, to this end, I strenuously contend, then he brings that word again. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. How hard I'm contending for you. Mm. Now, I don't think we still have genuine apostles in the way that uh, Paul, uh, we had in that time. We don't have people that should have that kind of authority over many churches. At least I, I won't in my, in the way I view church government, I don't think the Bible would teach that. Nonetheless, how is Paul's, um, how does what Paul say here, how does it translate? How does that global uh, um, 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 uh, authoritative oversight, how does that translate to local churches? Well, I think Paul, what Paul does, and we'll see that later, um, is that that apostolic authority, as time went on, it was given to local elderships or local pastors. That is, the same task of presenting everyone mature in Christ was then given to the local leadership each of those churches. Now, if it's the same task or the same goal and task, which is present everyone mature in Christ, I think also the nature of that ministry or service should also be the same. Paul said this is the goal and this is the nature. What's the nature? The nature is hard work. I remember a few years ago, like two years ago, someone asked me, someone asked me uh, that, so we had been trying to set up a meeting and I couldn't always meet up. Um, with the dates. So eventually we, we had the meeting and the person said, I want to ask you something. The person said, what are you always busy doing? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, you know, you, you seem to be always very busy. I, I, I'm working now. 
right? And I knew what was implicit in that statement. But you're a pastor now. I'm sure your work is just Sunday. At best, maybe Saturday night to Sunday. So why are you always busy? Now, for many of us, probably that is the background that we've seen, that we expect that the ministry should be something that you either get by, you just do by inspiration. You know, God just deposits some Holy Spirit juice inside of you, and then stuff just comes out. But Paul is saying, rather than that, actually, it should be characterized by hard work. Why? Because the task of presenting everyone mature in Christ is not such an easy task. Now, as a congregation, I want, in some ways, this may be preaching to the leadership, but in another way, it's actually preaching to you guys because you have to be able to hold your leadership to account. You also have to be able to know, is this a ministry? I'm not just talking about City Church. I'm just talking in general because some of us may not be here. You may be in Canada in three months' time. Or, you know, you know Canada is just stealing everybody. So, but it, how do I know where a faithful ministry of God is and where I can commit myself to? And Paul, I think, gives us... Um, a blueprint for that in this passage. So we title the sermon Contending for Maturity, and we'll treat it under these three subheadings. Contending for Maturity, and we'll treat it under the three subheadings. The environment, the danger, and the mystery. The environment, the danger, and the mystery. Now, let's go into the first one, the environment. What does it take, if I ask you, some of us are education. Well, some of us are education, uh, education professionals, but all of us, in some ways, are, are interested in education. If you have children or you've been educated yourself, what does it require to give someone good education? Now, you may say um, a good curriculum, so good content, right? You won't be wrong. Or you may say we need good teachers. What's the use of having a good curriculum? without having good teachers to deliver the content, right? So, fine, good curriculum, good teachers, and you'll, both be, you'll be correct on both. But there's something else that I think we need, and we may think about it by comparing these pictures. Now look at these pictures, these two pictures, people are learning, and then look at this one. Compare the two, take it back to the other one. and then take it forward. Now, if you compare those two sets of pictures, here's what you can't know. You can't know the quality of teachers in any of those, can you? And you can't also know the quality of the content of the curriculum in any of those, can't you? But who do you think is going to get better education by, giving, by uh, the first set of pictures or the second set of pictures? Who do you think will get? This, that? All right, this is the first. <laughs> All right, this is the first and this is the second. Who do you think will get the best uh, education just by that? By the first. And on what basis? Because you cannot tell the, whether the teachers are good. You cannot tell whether the curriculum, just on the picture basis, what can you say? What is the reason? The environment. The environment. Where one is, um, uh, the environment seems dull. The environment seems overcrowded, hot, it looks hot in some, uh, um, in, in some lacking good fa facilities. The other was colored, right, loads of colors there. The other was spacious. The other seemed temperate and well equipped. 
You see, the environment in which we learn is incredibly important is an incredibly important factor when considering how we come to a significant understanding of our content. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying in the second set of pictures that people cannot come out of that having and become great people. I'm not, it's not a comment on the people. It's a comment on the environment. We don't want people, even if we get a president from that, that isn't to validate that kind of environment. We want to get people out of that. So the environment that we have has a lot to do with how we receive the content that is given. In verse 2, Paul says that he has a goal that he's contending for. The goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. These churches, the people in these churches, I want them encouraged in heart and united in love. Why? Because, or so that, follow the so that, they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I want people to have complete understanding, but for them to have complete understanding, they have to be encouraged in heart and united in love. In other words, Paul's formula for people to have good understanding or to be in an environment of good understanding is encouraged hearts plus loving unity. Encouraged heart plus loving unity equals a good environment for learning. So let's take those two. Encouraged heart and, um, and um, uh, loving unity. The first is individual. The second is a corporate thing. So the first one. Leaders should be working hard to ensure that their members are encouraged in heart. Now, as a pastor, I'm, I'm constantly talking to people. I still got a text just before I came into here. I am constantly aware of the many things that are in people's lives that come to discourage their hearts. In fact, some of us right here now, are discouraging our hearts. For some people, it is just our financial situation never seems to be stable. And it comes and discourages your heart. For some of us, it's our marital situation. It just never seems to be stable. It's one problem here or there, and it discourages our heart. For some of us, it is the way our children are going. For some of us, it is I lack direction in my life. I'm not even sure where this life is going. For some of us, it's the relationship in our, with our friends and certain people that are close to us. There's so much that comes to the Lord's people to discourage their hearts. And these things often prevent us from developing into people of understanding. It's how can I learn when this thing has happened? Now, what are we meant to do? Because the solution isn't that easy. Now, somebody say, the solution is just encourage. See, far too many pastors are given to just encouraging people's emotions. Ah, Solomon, you're feeling down. Don't feel down. Don't feel down. Be encouraged. Ah! Femi, <laughs> it worked the trick. I'm encouraged. Woo! You know, it's like that, uh, is it Bob McCrane, that song? Um, uh, don't worry, be happy. The landlord said that your rent is late. Um, so now you have to, he's going to have to litigate. But don't worry. Be happy. The landlord wants to litigate against you. Your rent is late. And he says, you don't have to be worried. Don't worry. Huh? Or the modern version, because I'm happy. Clap your hands if you don't sing it. This is a, 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 
clap your hands uh, if you know. Like you feel a hey, room without a roof. Because I'm happy. Just like that. Happy, 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 happy. You know? And sometimes, because we lack the depth of what to say, we say, but my brother, don't worry. It will be fine. Many times, we don't even know what the situation is. But we said it's going to be fine. So I used to come in for my wedding. <laughs> you just want to move on. Just want to move on to what you want to say. So you just say it will be fine. Come on. I was uh, a few weeks ago. There was someone that invited me to, on the day of their birthday, on the day of their birthday, the person invited me to their birthday. On the day, I called the person to say, hey, happy birthday. Another person, 60th birthday. And the person said, ah, that's, oh, yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm even having a party at this place in Ikeja, blah, blah. I asked to the person, hey, yeah, I'm really sorry. We had a marriage crisis situation. I said, we had a marriage crisis situation, and uh, we're just dealing with it. We had a counseling session and all that, so I won't be able to come. The person said, I'm sure the Lord will sort it out. I know it will be sorted out. Don't worry. So I used to come in for my birthday. <laughs> just encourage. Just encourage. Or you can do the other part. If that one isn't good, we can go a little bit spiritual. Femi, there's something wrong. Femi says, I'm really feeling discouraged. I prophesy into your life. <laughs> if I be a man of God, by this time next, okay, if you don't want to head, you know, you say, by this time next year. <laughs> of course, hopefully, by the, you still want him to be there this time next year. So we prophesy into people's lives. We prophesy into people's spirits. We prophesy into people's uh, uh, situations. Whether just encouraging people or taking all of these things are taking the easy way out, it doesn't deal with this situation. Why? Because we are not dealing with their hearts. Paul said, encourage the, you have to encourage them in their hearts. Now, the heart is not just the physical beating heart. Neither is it in our modern lexicon or uh, understanding, which is just the place of emotions. According to the Bible, the heart is the very seat of the personality, the individual. So it affects your thinking, it affects your doing, it affects your feeling. And so part of the task of a leader is to listen to a person and their condition, listen to God's word carefully, and to offer them teaching, prayer, counsel, rebuke in a way that wouldn't only speak to them for that time and circumstance, but also beyond that. That's what to do to encourage people in their hearts. Because if they are discouraged in their heart, they will not be able to come to a place of understanding. The second one is a corporate one. Leaders should be working hard to ensure their members are united in love. Can I share you, it's with you a secret? It's not easy. <laughs> to, I mean, I, I, really, it isn't. Now, it's possible to be united. United, especially in church, around many things. So you can be united around a charismatic leader, our papa, our father and the Lord. Or maybe united around the, the, the leader and the wife, you know, our papa and the first lady. And maybe when I say charismatic, the person is gifted. Maybe it's very good at speaking. Maybe the person is able to do certain miracles. And so the, the church unites around this person and cannot ever hold that person to account. But that's unity, isn't it? It is a unity. Or it's possible to unite around certain doctrines. 
Now, don't get me wrong, doctrine is important. But when I mean certain doctrines, I mean you unite around the primary ones, the secondary ones, the tertiary ones. All of it, we, we, we are these people. We are, we are, I don't want to start naming names, but I am, we are, we Baptist people. We, I said I don't want to name this, I'll name it. I, like, oh yeah, we reformed people. All right, we Anglican people. Like when I said, you are born an Anglican, you do what? You will die an Anglican. How many of us want to die Anglicans? Right? Then you weren't born an Anglican. I was born an Anglican. All right? So we may unite around doctrines or maybe certain aspirations. We unite around them. Guess what? It's possible to have all these unities and yet not love each other. It's astounding. Outstanding how some people can gather for, together for a church's mission. They do it so well. And those people are constantly gossiping against each other, constantly backbiting um, each other, slandering one another as they're trying to achieve the mission. They are unkind. Someone told me about each other they were, they were in. And he said the pastor ruled the place like it was like a military military ruler. He said he doesn't have time for any dead weight. If, as we are moving along, you seem not to be able to move, they will leave you. They will leave you because the mission is the most important thing. They unite around the mission, but they don't necessarily love each other. Other times, it's not even to be overtly antagonistic to one another. It is just to be indifferent. Because really, the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is indifference. I just don't care. You abuse me, I don't care because you are nothing to me. So it means avoiding someone. You know, you just constantly avoid someone. Or you treat them one way this week. The next week, you treat them another way. Or just being uncomfortable. Let's say you are uncomfortable in the direction that the church is going. You hold it in. You become resentful. And then you start to unite around discontent. There are many forces that work against the unity that we should have. And yet Paul is saying, if you have to have a good environment for you to grow in understanding, you have to be united in love. So good past, uh, Paul says good pastors, rather than, uh, while they try to protect the unity of the church, rather than return fire for fire. You spoke to me this way. Do you know who I am? Do you know when I was ordained? Do you know when God called me? Where were you when I was actually figuring out the plan of this thing? Fire for fire. Or you hear about something happening in church, and then immediately, because you like that person, or this other one has always been irritating you, you start to pick sides. Now, I'm not saying that you can't. Sometimes some people are overtly wrong. It's one person that has the fault. You should correct that person. But I'm saying that before you even know that, you start to pick sides. What the pastor is meant to do is to ensure unity through counsel, through prayer, through preaching and teaching, through facilitating reconciliation. So that they will not just be united, but united, what, in love. In that kind of spirit, you can have people who, though, do not always believe the same things, though, are not even really alike, it is possible for them to be committed to one another. So Paul's formula for creating the environment that allows for Understanding for, knowledge, for the grasping of knowledge is for people to be encouraged in heart 
and united in love. And he says all of this because there is a danger. Second point, the danger. Now, because what's all this learning for? Well, before that, I, one of the things I got discouraged about um, uh, just observing after moving back, just observing was that it looked like there was a gap for people who had some kind of intellectual, um, nose, intellectual ability just to inspire you. There was a, a, a generation that had gone. There was a particular generation that wasn't very inspired by. But I was more, more um, interested in the generation that was coming, the younger guys. Are there people that are thinking? Are there people that can intellectually stimulate you? You know? Um, so one of the people I discovered that said a lot of good things is this guy I want you to listen to. All right? So maybe we'll show him. Uh, show him. And listen to what he's trying to, listen to what he's trying to say. All right, guys, this is serious. This is, if you are in Lagos, guys, in case you find yourself in Lagos, either you are a Lagosian or you find you, you just happen to come into Lagos, just make sure you take, take it back from where it started, you know, from, from sand. You know this um, pose, light pose, they never cross bounds of imaginations. What is the format when you can't even breathe? Breathe what you have. Have what you know. Hmm. No, nobody ever comes out. Vote for the vote for what is not basic cooking. Hmm. Eating is is life. What are we? We are there. Think about it. Think. Now, in case some of us, you're laughing because you do understand. Listen to what, listen, wait, wait, wait. Hello. Breathe what you have. But if you can't breathe what you have, you have to have what you know. You understand what I'm, think, think, think about it. Now, this is where we're meant to say, mm, what? I noticed some of us were listening. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm trying, okay, wow, this guy is really articulate. What was the problem? The problem is that he sounded very articulate, passionate, but he was saying nonsense. He wasn't saying anything that made any sense. What he was saying sounded very well, but at the same time, in the middle of it, it's like, you know, donuts. You know donuts, not Mr. Big's donuts. You know those, those um, the hollow ones. All the thing was on the outside, there was nothing on the inside. You understand what I mean? He said, what is life? Life is there. We are there. Paul says, if we, if we, if we create the right environment, where people are united in heart, and people are encouraged in heart, and united in love, it will prevent people from being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 4. He says, I tell you this. What I'm trying to tell you is so that no one may be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Notice what he says. He says there are arguments, but what is fine? It's not the content of the argument. It's how it sounds. 
At this point, the Colossian, the main reason for writing Colossian church, we'll, go, we'll get into it later in chapter 2, is that there were many fine-sounding doctrines that were coming. And Paul is saying we need to equip people so that they will not be deceived by arguments that sound fine. He's not saying that the arguments sound weird. They sound fine. And the, you know the funny thing about when, when some people start waxing lyrical and blowing some doctrines? Because you, you don't want to sound like somebody that doesn't get. You know that kind of thing. The guy is going, and then you see your neighbor, your neighbor as, you, both of you are sitting there, your neighbor just stands and says, Pastor, preach to me. Say, ah, then he's writing, he's writing. It's like he's writing, but he's just writing the passage. The passage that he doesn't understand. Ask them what happened at the end. He said, my pastor was blowing today. Man, what did he teach? Man, you missed. What did he teach? It was just too deep. <laughs> As in, I, what will fail me to be able... The man spoke in words, but you are saying what will fail you to be able to communicate. It's, like, it, it's not so much even what he said. It's how I felt. And even that itself is, is deep. Paul says, the reason why I am working hard... The reason why, as a pastor, you should work hard is to present people mature in Christ. But here is a description of what mature people in Christ look like. If you create the right environment for them, they will come to complete understanding, and this will prevent them from being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Now, notice again, it's not that there isn't a part to play from the believer. But Paul also identifies that there is a unique role given to the leaders. In fact, this is why in 1 Timothy 5, he identifies a certain uh, group of the elders. He said, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. He was talking there about their pay, as you see in the next verse. That you should set them aside, pay them, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. That is, a church should comprise of preaching and teaching. Not just preaching, but teaching as well. Because it is those people's job to be able to understand some of the teachings that are coming out that are false, to anticipate them, and then to try to build up their members in understanding so as to protect them. Paul planted a church in Ephesus. Spent two and a half years there. Says he always he continued to preach the kingdom to them. He declared the whole counsel of God to them. But now he was no longer going to see them. So he called for the elders of the church. And he said this to them. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, sometimes the danger that we have is that we are our own worst enemies. Some of us feel that we are able to protect ourselves on our own. This is what Paul is saying. Now, again, as I said, there is a part to play. We talk about the Berean Christians who studied uh, the scriptures to know what, whether the, what they were taught was true. So there is a part to play, but you can't do it on your own. I've met too many lone ranger, untaught, and unskilled Christians 
whoso want to shield themselves from false teaching, you know what they end up doing? They stay away and they end up spewing up their own false teaching as well. They know what they are able to reject, but what the right thing is, they don't because they are untaught, they are unskilled, they are unprepared. Just in the last couple of years, in a bit to combat the false teaching on money that we've been having in Nigerian church for a number of years, Christians flock themselves to an individual who, though rightly opposed the fleecing of the sheep, himself was largely untaught and was, if many people listened to everything he said, he was even saying that the Bible that we have is not actually, it wasn't complete. He was actually advocating for other books the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of, uh, of Peter. He was advocating for other books. And people were running after this person because that person had seen himself as above the church. Because the church in many places was false, rather than submit yourself under right teaching, the person eventually said, no, I will go on my own. Be careful about being a Lone Ranger Christian. If I may ask, because again, Paul says, this is what I am doing. I'm contending and working hard so that no one will deceive you. If I think about it, even in City Church here, how many of us have availed ourselves of the availability of what we have in our own church? For example, we have something called Theology Day. Remember, Paul says, the people who are set aside, they are set aside not just for preaching. That's Sunday. Thank you for coming. But he says they are set aside for preaching and teaching. On theology days, that's what we do. Not preach, we teach. How many of us, when the announcement is being made, even consider putting it in the calendar? It's just, oh, that announcement, that is not for me, but thank God it's for the upcoming Christians. All right, you guys, you know you have to attend. Make sure you attend. Why? Because we've gone. Be careful about that. I'm not saying this to um, condemn anyone. Rather, I'm actually trying to encourage us that sometimes we can't be our own worst enemy. There are people that are meant to be working hard to see and to say, how do we equip the people so that they can be encouraged in heart, they are united in love, but at the same time, they are able to spot out fine-sounding arguments, and they can quickly say, this thing sounds very nice, but it's like that round donut. There's nothing inside. Or there's still, we still have other opportunities in our gospel communities. You can complain, oh, this book, all oh, these prophetic books. I don't even know what they are saying there. Who even knows? Well, only God knows. All right, we set up in our gospel committee, we are studying one of them. You don't have the right to continue to complain that you don't understand when the availability and the opportunities are there for you to be able to learn. Please, let's stop making excuses. Try to plan yourselves around. Let excuses be the exception, not the norm. Amen? Third, the mystery. The mystery. So encouraging people, uniting people in love, teaching people, maybe I should even add, helping people, changing people's lives. All these sound like what our society will identify to be a pastor's role. Ah, you're a pastor. You know you're into the business of changing people's lives. Somebody has told me that. You are meant to be changing people's lives. And, well, Paul seems, it will seem like Paul agrees with them. But then I want to ask, what differentiates then, the, if the job of a pastor is to change people's lives, to help people, to teach people, to unite people and to encourage them, what differentiates the pastor from an imam? 
What differentiates him from a guru? What differentiates him from a psychiatrist? All of these people help people. They change their lives. They teach people. They encourage people. So what differentiates us? After all, these guys do all of these things. And then Paul gets to the heart of it. He's saying that, you see, the complete knowledge and understanding that he's talking about is really the next statement after that. He repeats it, but then elaborates it further. I want you, as he says in verse, uh, verse 3, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Complete understanding in what? Complete knowledge in what? Well, he then goes on to say, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Ah, so now we're getting to the point. Because the other time he had used the word mystery, as Yemi showed us last week, he says, the mystery that was kept hidden in all ages, but now has been disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why immediately the verse after, then said, oh, so what's my task? It is him that we proclaim. You see, all of this encouraging, uniting, teaching, all of those things is to get you to the heart of it. That is, the, the core of the ministry is to present Christ so that you can mature people in Christ. For us, there is something in the middle of the donut. It's Christ. Paul is making some very explicit statements. And he's been talking about Christ throughout Colossians 1. You may even get boring. Say, you don't do. This is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, no, you don't get it. I ne you never do. Paul, the implication of Paul's statement is, if there is a God, and I believe there is one, and there's only one, he's saying you cannot know him. You cannot know this God apart from Christ. That they may know the mystery of God. I'm like, ah, mysteries. How many of us love mysteries? Ah, I love mysterious teachings. Some of us are drawn to mysterious teachings. You know, these things that just blow your head. If you, under, if you ever understand it, then you drop it. Because mysterious teachings are not meant to be understood. They're just meant to be seen. And Paul is saying, we don't do anything like that. I should tell you exactly what the mystery is. The mystery is Christ. It was a mystery because in time past, it was kept hidden. But now, from the time of Paul, he says, now we can see who that is. The ultimate, now, don't get me wrong. When I say Christ is the point, I'm saying the ultimate reason for our ministries is to Christ. Is Christ. It's not the exclusive. The fact that something is ultimate, the fact that something is primary, doesn't mean it's exclusive. As we see, there are other things. He's teaching. He's encouraging people in love. He's trying to uh, uh, encourage, encourage people in their hearts. But he's saying all of those things are to serve this purpose. Don't miss the forest from the trees. You've ever heard that, that phrase? That is, you can go into a place, or you see trees, tree one, tree two, and forget that this is a forest. We have to deal with the trees, the details. But let's never forget what? The forest. And this is not just about ministry. It's about our behavior. So for instance... If you try and teach morality devoid of Christ, you know what it leads to? Moralism. That is, it is your good works that then get you in favor with God. 
rather than understanding that your good works should be responsive, it should be the right response to God's favor that has already been given to you in Christ. Amen. Amen. Morality without Christ is moralism. The same thing. Spirituality without Christ becomes spiritism. If you say, I want to engage, I just want to press into God, I want to see visions, I want to, all of a sudden, it's all about going to one guy in one bush, in one whatever that is telling you about one enemy, and then the issue that has happened in your life is, um, in your village, there's something that has been planted under one tree, there's a covenant that has been made for you, and so now we have to fire by fire to kill our enemies, all of this kind of spiritual nonsense, and it's happening in the Christian church, why? Because Christ is not present. Spirituality without Christ leads you to spiritism. But there are two I want us to think about, particularly for this passage. Truth without Christ, I formed this word, leads to truth, truthism. Nice word, David. And wisdom without Christ leads to pragmatism. By truthism, I mean this. That is, you can become the kind of Christian that says, you know, I just, I just like, I'm very, very, I believe to follow Christ is to be logical. Yeah, yes. But being, saying you believe following Christ is to be logical, and then you turn into being a logician, that's not being a Christian. Very, if it's not analytical, then I don't know. No, 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 no. And then you can even be the type that, Everything, I just want, we have to get this doctrine right, get that doctrine, and then you see some people that don't agree with you on secondary issues or tertiary issues, and you almost start to say that I'm not even sure they are Christians. You have turned the gospel from being salvation by faith alone to being salvation by our doctrine alone. That is an error. The point must still drive us to Jesus Christ. And then wisdom without Christ leads us to pragmatism. By pragmatism, I mean the end justifies the means. At the end of the day, what's up? God is doing fantastic things in this church. Why? He's just growing us massively, all of those things. All right, but the teaching, yeah, because we're teaching people, we're encouraging them in their hearts, we're getting them, they're doing stuff, their lives are, all right, but I've not heard about Jesus Christ in any way. Well, I think they know that we're a church now, so Jesus Christ is, is implicit there. I have decided to know nothing else among you except Christ and him, what? Crucified. That's what Paul is saying. That is truth, knowledge, and wisdom ultimately find themselves in him. So that's why he says, namely Christ, in whom are hidden, what? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, it means this. If you cannot, if you try to be wise and you try to be knowledgeable outside of Christ, ultimately, you are foolish. Now, this does not mean that to know all the scientific wonders of the world, all you need to do is to look at Christ. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. It doesn't mean that to fully understand music, all you need to do is to look at Christ. To fully understand finance, all you need to do is to look at Christ. No, that's not what it's saying. But it's saying that it means to be knowledgeable and to be wise. To live a life that pleases God, you cannot do it outside of Christ. So I'll say this to us. 
when judging a church, when judging a ministry, when judging those who are doing that, and you want to know whether if I commit to this place, I will grow in wisdom and knowledge, ask yourself, ask yourself this, where is the place of Christ? Is he implicit? Is he a sideshow? Does it come only when we pray and say in Jesus' name? Does it just appear when we say we want to give an altar call, just say this? Or can you see Christ as center? Christ as Paul showed us in, one, in Colossians 1, 15-20, as creator, as savior, as lord of all. This is how we should judge. If these are in present, you won't, you, won't, you won't ultimately be knowledgeable and wise. Unity will be a farce, and whatever encouragement you receive will be fleeting. But if these form the bedrock, if Christ is the bedrock of that ministry, rest assured, you are in a good place. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.